Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. So powerful. One word. One word. You know, I'll be honest with you. God is the God of the minority. He's never needed the majority. He's never needed a lot. Just a few. The ones, the chosen, the called. Amen? And that's you. That's you. Go to with me to Luke chapter 9, if you will. Luke chapter 9, it's good to be back with you. I heard Miss Audrey brought a great word last week, stirred you up, and um, I've got a word here that I think is timely, is needed. The word is so rich, isn't it? You can look at the same verse a thousand times, continue to get life from it, continue to receive from it. Here in Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 57, it's got a lot of verses in it. Starting with verse 57, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That's what you want to hear, right? You know, I'll be honest, we make a lot about people that accept Jesus, but it's the ones that follow Jesus that get the results in their life. Okay? It's one thing to step in the door and to accept him and make him, you know, savior and make him Lord of your life. But to truly be a disciple means you've got to be a follower. That means you go after. You know, you don't have to tithe to accept Jesus, but you got to tithe to follow Jesus. You don't have to go to church to accept Jesus, but we go to church to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is another tangent. Following Jesus is another level, okay? And so we need to get beyond just an acceptance of Jesus, and we need to go full throttle into, I have followed, I am uh, uh, modeling my life after his example and after his leadership, and I am being a true follower and a true disciple. And this individual comes to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go. That's what he wants to hear, right? Wherever you tell me to go, I will follow. Wherever you lead, I will follow. But verse 58, Jesus responds and he says, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. And the individual responded, Lord, he said, first, let me go bury my father. I mean, that seems like a good reason to hold off. Good excuse. Verse 60, he responds and he says, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Thirdly, in verse 61, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. You think he would have learned from the guy that just went before him. He couldn't even say goodbye to his dead father. How much do you think he's going to let you say goodbye to your alive father? But he didn't learn a lesson. He didn't get it. And he said, let me go say goodbye to those at my house. 
Verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. No one who does this is fit for the kingdom of God. Three individuals that, I mean, look, when you're a leader, you know, when you're pastoring a church, you're starting a business, you're running an organization, you're looking for those individuals that will buy in. You're looking for those individuals that will come alongside. You're looking for those individuals uh, that that will say, man, I'm, I'm on board with this. I see it. I'm catching the vision. I mean, how can I come alongside? I mean, I remember when we were first starting the church, anybody that walked through the door that if you even looked like you were interested, we're going to find out what your gift set is, what your skill set is. We're going we're gonna to tell you about the Next Vision partnership. We're going to tell you how to get connected. We want to take you out to lunch. You know, we're, we're doing all that we can to just try to connect with the few that, that you know, even look interested in what we're doing. And so, you know, that's, that's what you're drawing on. That's what you're pulling on. But Jesus' response to these individuals almost seems like a deterrence, almost like he's shooing them away, almost like, ah, you don't want none of this. You, you're, you're not ready for this. Are you really interested? Almost like, you know, his responses are, are telling them, you might want to be a part of this. I don't want you a part of this. Almost just comes across rude, right? Almost comes across insensitive. I mean, the one guy is wanting to go and, you know, at least have a funeral service for his father that just passed away. What is the, what, what is the cost is what Jesus is getting to. And what Jesus is trying to highlight with these individuals is, if you're going to come follow me, you're going to have to count the cost. You're going to have to count the cost. Jesus said in another uh, instance, he said, no one building building a house begins to build without first counting the cost of labor, counting the cost of materials, counting the cost of time, counting the cost of effort. No, no king going to war uh, just goes to, jumps into war without first counting the cost of what is our enemy and, and what do we have and what resources do we have available? What's it going to, what, what's the challenge to us? What is the possible risk that we're going to take? And Jesus is addressing this, this factor that you can have great uh, uh, motivation and you can have great intentions, but without really purposing in your, how, in, in your heart what it's going to require of you, we're going to have to count the cost. We're going to have to regard what is it that you're really asking of me. What Jesus was making sure in these statements was, are you coming on board for what you can get, or are you coming on board for what you can give? Are you following after me because of all the fame and the glory that's going on right now? Because of the tens of thousands that come to hear me speak and come to see the miracles, signs, and wonders that are happening through my ministry? Is that why you're following? Is that why you want to Y'all remember the rich young rulers, same instance, same situation. How must I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What was he asking? What am I going to get out of this? That was his motivation. But see, his disciples, he had just called his 12 disciples. Those 12, Jesus said, they've left home. They've left work. 
They've left employment. They've left family, mother and father. They've left security. They've left comfort. They've left everything they know to come and follow me. He's helping us recognize that the cost, the cost that's associated with following Jesus has to, has to be weighed, has to be regarded, has to be looked at, has to be uh, given attention. Otherwise, we'll get halfway in this thing and then start asking questions like, why is all hell breaking loose? Why have my family members left me and abandoned me? Why are they mocking me and making fun of me? These are all the things that come with following Jesus. I mean, I don't know. I haven't met anybody yet that started following Jesus and, and everything has just gone exactly how they planned or everything just falls right into place. At least it doesn't feel that way. We know that God is working it out for our good. We know that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. We know that, that he makes everything work out for our good, right? But it don't feel that way in the moment. They don't feel like it's all working out for our good. Somehow, you're turning it for our good, right? Go talk to Joseph about that. He's in a pit. He ended up in a prison. I mean, nothing was going in the direction of those dreams that he got as a young boy. And all he did was disclose what, what was revealed to him by those dreams, and, and, and all hell broke loose. I mean, the very ones closest to him, his brothers, throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery, just doing the right thing, just serving the master, gets accused of a heinous crime, gets thrown in prison from that point, reveals and tells a dream to another individual, that individual for two years forgets about him, even though he got set free, got delivered because of the dream. Forgets about him. I mean, he's just laying waste in a prison when he was promised to be a king, promised to be a ruler, promised to have his own family bowing down to him. No, it doesn't feel like that along the way. And so Jesus is saying, you have to count the cost. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, continuing into the next chapter, in verse 1 it reads, After this the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And look at this in verse 2. It says, He told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. And you know, at this point they're all thinking, Well, you, we, we could have had three more. If, we're, if we need more laborers, uh, there's three guys over here that said they will follow you wherever you go. What happened? He says the laborers are few. Yeah, because you're turning them all away. <laughs> They're coming to you. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. There it is. Send out workers into his harvest. And he says, now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves. One of the greatest things that will get challenged when you start following Jesus, you start walking after his pattern and 
purpose for your life. One of the biggest things that I see believers have the hardest time overcome, they, I, I, I've seen them whip sin, whip addictions. I mean, that is, we just sang about it. One word from you. I mean, your, your challenges, your struggles, your situations, your sin, that's not your problem. God has already whipped it, beat it, defeated it on the cross. Just walk in the victory he's already made available for you. But one area that I see believers struggle in when they start to walk out the plan and purpose of God for their life is this issue of comfort. It's the issue of comfort. And ultimately, that's what Jesus was addressing with those three individuals. The first one, he says, foxes have holes in, and, and, and what he said, foxes have dens. Let me, let me say it correctly. Foxes have dens. Birds of the sky have nests. What he's saying, you're going to have to give up the comfort of knowing where you're going to lay your head every night. You're going to have to give up the comfort of familiarity. You're going to have to give up the comfort is what he's addressing. Let me go bury my dead father. Let me tell you, there's going to be things in your life that are going to seem like they're bigger and they, that, they, that they have more weight. But at the end of the day, nothing has more weight than the call of God on your life. That has to be the ultimate reigning priority and purpose in your life. Well, let me say goodbye to my family before I get on this journey. He says, you don't put your hand to the plow and look back. What's he saying? You have to keep your eyes fixed on what's ahead of you because what's ahead of you is greater than what you're leaving behind. He's redirecting them is what he's doing. That everything you're, you're latching onto, you're going to have to sever and you're going to have to cut off because the comfort of what you enjoy and the comfort of the familiar and the comfort and the benefits of the life you're living now. You know, it's funny because we all think about the things that if I run after God, I'm going to leave behind this addiction. I'm going to leave behind this relation. We think of all the stuff that we want to let go of, but then God starts working on the stuff you don't want to let go of. Right? You ever notice that God will mess with the stuff that you're okay with? <laughs> the people you were okay with keeping around. The music you were okay with listening to. The habits you were okay with keeping. Right? They weren't sinful habits. They're even accepted by the world. And God will, Jesus will mess with all of it. He'll, he'll take away the stuff you want to hand over. Cast your cares on him because he can care, because he cares for you. Cast your burdens on the Lord. But then there's the stuff that he'll start dabbling with. Is like, hey, I'll take that, take that, and take that. But have you ever thought about giving that one to me? Well, you know, Jesus, I was, I, I like that one. That one tells me how awesome I am. That one feeds my need for approval. That one uh, uh, keeps my identity. And he says, yeah, that, that's the one I want. That's the one I want. And so it's this issue of comfort. It's this issue of, of what are we familiar with in life that's keeping us from moving forward with what God has for us. Are we willing to lay it all down? Are we willing to abandon it all for the sake of the kingdom? Are we willing to reject it and move on and say, if he says I don't need it, then I don't need it, and it's only going to hold me back from everything he has for me? Look at these two. I'm going to give you two of these letters in the 
book of Revelation written to the churches. Revelation chapter 3 is where they're found. Revelation chapter 3. You know, a lot of people have wrong ideas and inclinations about the book of Revelations. The book of Revelation is not written to scare you. It's written to prepare you. It's written to the church. But a consistent theme throughout the book of Revelation is preparation. Consistent theme throughout the book of Revelation is be aware. And he writes, Jesus writes seven churches, personally writes to seven churches these letters. And in verse 14, verse 14, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works. And he uses that statement with every single church. I know your works. So these are churches that have been working. These are churches that have been doing something. These are churches that are busy. Okay? These aren't churches sitting around on their hands. These aren't churches, uh, you know, that, 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 that have, you know, walking, you know, knowingly in, in sin per se. These are churches. These are not the false witnesses and the false teachers and those that go after false doctrine. These are the churches that have an idea that they're following after the purpose of God, but, that he, but yet he reveals something. He says, I know your works, and this is what he says, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm, everyone say lukewarm, because you are lukewarm. In the Amplified, that word lukewarm, it, it, it has it in parentheses, spiritually useless. Spiritually useless. They proclaim one thing, but they deny the power thereof. Spiritually useless. Going through the motions. Spiritually useless and neither hot nor cold. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, now watch this in verse 17. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, Blind and naked. You say we have become wealthy, and here it is, need nothing. Now, see, this is the danger of comfort. This is the danger of comfort. It's baseball season right now, so you just, you're going to get a lot of examples of me coaching Little League Baseball, you're just, you're just going to have to bear with me. But one thing that we struggle with now, and we're in kid pitch, and, you know, it's more like kid throw, kid toss. It's not much of pitching taking place. Although, you know, I got to say, we, we've got a pretty good, pretty good pitching staff. But you still have, you know, you either have kids that can throw Hard and wild or soft 
and accurate. It's one of the two. I'm waiting for that kid. Lord, send him right now. I receive him in the name of Jesus. That throws hard and accurate. Now, Cody does a pretty good job. But you still get what's called pass balls. That means the catcher doesn't catch it. It goes past him to the backstop. Uh, you still get walks. You got kids getting hit by pitches. That's that's the game. That's That's, that's what we're doing. And so I had, you know, I've got about five pitchers on our team that we use pretty consistently. And so um, I had a pitching coach from the local high school come out and um, uh, just, you know, show him a few pointers and stuff, you know, and, and he let him know, look, most important thing, you got to throw strikes. If you don't throw strikes, we don't win. If you throw strikes, we might win. That's how it works. There ain't no guarantees, but I can guarantee if you don't throw strikes, we just got a carousel, merry-go-round going on the bases. They're just taking base after base after base. And then he said this, and here's the problem, is sometimes we walk so many people, and then we finally get a ball in the strike zone. They hit it. It's hit to one of our defenders behind us. They botch the play. They, they make an error, and then you as the pitcher want to blame them. He says, you are the reason why they why they messed up that play. Because you walk so many people, they're getting bored out there. They're not on their toes anymore. They're back on their heels. They're caught up right. And now they're surprised when a ball is actually hit into play and hit toward them. And he kept using this word. You become complacent. They become complacent. They get comfortable watching they get comfortable spectating, and they forget that they are not a spectator with the uniform on. They are a participator on the field. You are part of the game. I literally watched last night. This was, I think I pointed it out to you. It was hilarious. This is the game before us. Thank God if it was one of my kids. I'd have tendered his contract right there, fired him on the spot, sent him down to double A, trade, I would have. I literally watched a ball get hit to right field. No, no, it was thrown to the first baseman, overthrew the first baseman, went halfway into the right field, and the right fielder did this. That's all he did. That's it. <laughs> the first baseman comes running. I mean, he's in the outfield. He's all the way down, and he throws the ball back in, and he just rails into his right fielder. And I was like, go at him, man. I mean, just, you're going to help me out? What are you doing? <laughs> he's just going off on him. It's hilarious. You get complacent. Weariness is the result of too little. But complacency is the result of too much too much complacency complacency shows up in our lives when we have too much and you've grown comfortable in an area where God wants you to stretch and grow and develop and do more and become greater that's what comfort does to us it causes us to grow and become complacent because we have too much he says you say you say, I have become wealthy and need 
nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, is what he says. You've entered into an arena where you have too much time on your hands. Too much resource. Too much available to you. Too much. And it's this, it's this area where God isn't wanting to diminish you. God isn't wanting to take away from you. But... He is wanting to stretch you. And sometimes lack is the greatest revealer in our life of what's most important. God is not a God of lack. God is not a God of poverty. God is not a God of weakness. God is not a God that says, oh, you got too much. Let me take that away from you. But he told the rich young ruler, go and what? Sell all you have. He wasn't trying to get his money. He was trying to get him. He wasn't interested in the man's money. He wanted the man. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And so in this this arena where we have too much, in this arena where we have too much access, too much freedom, too much liberty, uh, uh, too much resource, too, too much relationship. And when, when we have this overload, God doesn't really get us anymore. And we become complacent. We fall back on our heels. And the opposite of complacent is passionate. And I firmly believe this. As believers, we never get a day off with passion. We never get to operate in this life as a believer without passion. Just going through the most. Look, passion is not what you do. It's how you do it. I mean, we see people every day that know what to do, right? But they've lost the why they do it. And it turns into the wrong how they do it. Now burnout and weariness and struggle, uh, uh, that, that all comes from challenge. And, 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 you know, sometimes those are the situations where you get the best out of you. Because now you're having to fight for what you need. You know, I mean, when, when we're up 12 nothing on a team, That's when I'm in my kid's face, like, don't get lazy. Don't get complacent. Don't throw the ball all over. Think about what you're doing. We, You know, they ask me all the time, and they still don't get it. One day, I mean, Camden don't even get it. He lives in my house. What's the score? Zero, zero. What's the score? Zero, zero. They ask me, what do you mean it's zero? We said we scored at least three runs. Is zero zero meaning you can lose this game, you might win this game. That we are not going by scoreboards. And then they had to go and fix our scoreboards. So now they don't even have to ask me anymore. It's lit up out there in red. I liked it when it was broke. Because they stare. We're all looking at the scoreboard. And now I have to tell my kids that scoreboard doesn't tell you what really happened on this field. You can win and get worse. You can lose and get better. The scoreboard doesn't tell us what your heart says. 
The scoreboard doesn't tell you what your attitude was like. Scoreboard didn't tell, the scoreboard doesn't tell you if you got lazy and complacent, if you gave me 50% because we're up by 12, so who cares if this ball gets past me? The scoreboard of life doesn't read King Saul defeated the Amalekites but lost the battle in his heart because he didn't obey what God told him to do. Now we take a day off from passion, meaning I'll do it, just not with the greatest effort. I'll do it, but my heart might not be in it. I'll do it and get it done, and I'll get the same result, and I'll get an accomplishment, but then we confuse results with victories. I said we confuse results as victories. And God's trying to push us to more. If you jump up above this, letter, Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, he says, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. Look at this in verse 9, I know your affliction and poverty, but look at the next words, but you are rich. Now, which category do you want to be in? Wealthy and needing nothing on the outside, but really pitiful, wretched, and a waste on the inside? Spiritually useless, he says? Or maybe on the outside, I might not have it all there, but I'm rich because I give my greatest effort with all that I Passion is waning in the world today. I believe the world, in fact, when you see a passionate person today, it's almost a surprise. It's almost like, you love what you do? You woke up invigorated today? I mean, it's, they stand, have you noticed? Passionate people stand out in a world that has become complacent, in a world that just tries to get by with the least amount of investment as possible, in a world where, where it's, it's just all about getting to the end, getting to the finish. And it doesn't matter how you got there. It doesn't matter who you stepped on to get there. It doesn't matter what you compromised on your way there. No, passionate people. Passionate people is what the king's looking for. Passionate people is what this world's looking for. And we ought to be the most passionate people on the planet. We, believers, Christians. And passion isn't always what we think it is. Passion isn't, you know, this hyped up, you know, just lively. You know, passion sometimes is just the grit in the grind. Passion sometimes is just a fighting, you know, with, with, with your teeth clenched together, white knuckled, we're just we're gonna we're gonna dig our heels in and get this thing done, and we're not just gonna stride along hoping that we arrive with everybody else. Passion. Jesus is looking for these followers. He's looking for followers. He says that the harvest is plenty and the laborers are few. We're outnumbered, he says. We're outweighed. There's, there's a bigger job out there than what we even have available. But it's the lack of having few going against great that's going to cause us to do it with the right heart. Because if we had more workers than harvest, we'd become complacent. 
He says it's not about what the harvest is when we get it in. It's about how you brought them in. Did you bring them in with passion? You've heard it before. Less is more. I mean, I told you from the beginning. God's never needed the majority. He's never one time said, well, if the odds play in our favor. Right? What do you tell Gideon? Whittle this thing down. I just need 300. You realize the size of their army was already 10 times the size of us when we started out. (laughs) Yeah, I realize that. But I need people with passion. I don't just need people on the field. I don't look, David was one man with passion. What did he say when he showed up and his brother challenged him? He said, Is there not a cause? What's he saying? Is there not a reason? Is there not a purpose? Is there not a purpose for my being? And he was passionate about going after Goliath. It said Eliab's anger was aroused against David. I wonder if Eliab would have had the same passion about Goliath that he had about David. I wonder what that would have looked like. David shows up on a battlefield surrounded by skilled soldiers. And one person with passion outweighed all their talent and all their gifts and all their ability. No, God's saying, I'll work with the with, with insufficiency. Where there's a deficiency, I can work with that. Because it's your heart that's going to get us through this. It's your heart. It's your motive on the inside. It's what drives you. It's what keeps you. It's what pushes you. It's what maintains you. It's what sustains you. And when we lose sight of that, and we're just going through the motions, guys, I know it's easy to go. That's why they call it going through the motions. It's why they call it that. But I just believe in whatever we do, we don't get to do it without passion. We don't. Passion is an obligation in the kingdom of God. And that's what he's challenging. There was another church, the church of Philadelphia, that he says, come back to your first love. Otherwise, I'll have to remove your candlestick. I've seen your works. I've seen your deeds. I've seen your efforts. I've seen the results, he says. I see the results, but I also see the heart. I'm not just looking at the outward appearance. I'm not looking at the show you put on. I'm not looking at the wealth you've gained. I'm not looking at the the accomplishments that you've achieved in your life. I'm looking at your heart. I'm looking at a place no one else gets to see. I believe in these last days, that's the church he's looking for. He's looking for the church that's passionate. He's looking for the church that's hungry for more. He's looking for the church that has a drive on the inside that says, ah, it's, not, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. A holy dissatisfaction. I'm not talking about thinking less of yourself. I'm not thinking, I'm not talking about uh, walking around with just this, this, this 
uh, horrible self-worth and self-value. Like, oh, just never be enough for God. No, it, it's, it's understanding what we have achieved has been by the grace of God, but there's so much more to accomplish. There's so much more to do. It, it, it's, it's going out, getting one, one for Christ, bringing them in the kingdom. Say, All right, there's another one out there. And we keep up the passion. We stay hungry because we can continue to bring these results in till Jesus comes. But if we do it with the wrong heart and if we lose the value behind what he's called us to do and assigned us to do, if we don't redirect that, we'll grow into comfort. And eventually we'll say, you know, 200, that's, that's a good marker. That's a good number. Most churches in America, they don't even run what we're running right now. 80% of them are smaller than we are right this moment. We did it. You plateau. Oh, and sure, we'll, we'll fill every seat right down to number 200 in the back corner there. But there's no drive, there's no passion, there's no hunger. And he's going to say, you know, I, I wish you were cold or I wish you were hot. If you look back in the Amplified for the cold, it says invigorating and refreshing. For the hot, it says soothing and healing. See, he can, he can work with the cold because it will bring refreshing and invigorate those around. He can work with the hot because they'll soothe and they'll heal and they'll comfort. But the lukewarm, there's nothing we can do with that. I can't, you, if you're one or the other, cold has its purposes and hot heat has its purposes. But down the middle, lukewarm, there's nothing we can do with that. Spiritually useless. Now, I want to remain passionate so I can remain purposeful in accomplishing the assignment for which he's called me. The kingdom of God is not here or there. It's within me. It's right here. Don't let life burn you out. Don't let life strain you and weaken you and, and cause you to grow weary and tired. You're greater than that. You're better than that. But also, don't let life give you so much that you lose your drive and your passion to go after the more. We talk about burnout. We talk about weariness. We, we don't talk about this side of it very much. We don't talk about the good times. Look, the, why am I bringing this? Because we're seeing a lot of amazing, powerful things in our church right now. Things that we prayed for, believed for, stood for, many that, that, that started with us and have, have come alongside us over the years that, that we, we can remember back. But I don't want to become complacent. I don't want to stall out and hit a plateau and, 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 and hit a wall and, and the, of, of my own. Look, there's, there's enough walls out there besides me having to go build more walls. The wall of comfort the wall of convenience, as long as it's at the right time, as long as it does the right thing, as long as it makes me feel the right way. No, that's, that's not the life you're called to live. You're called to live beyond that, beyond comfort, beyond convenience, beyond control. You can have growth or you can have comfort, but you cannot have both. You can have growth or you can have comfort, but you cannot have both.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.